This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain tv slash gold my name is dustin gold first off i'd like to start out by thanking each and every one of you for sticking with us ladies and gentlemen over the holiday break from christmas to new year's i saw the numbers kind of dropping on the show i could see the analytics i don't really know who's listening i could just see total numbers over episodes and such and so i saw those numbers drastically drop i was getting a little nervous and saying to myself oh no what is this the people aren't liking the show maybe they're not liking the guests what's going wrong and so i started doing a little research into podcasts in general and i saw that numbers typically drop 40 50 60 percent during the holidays and i completely understand that uh for me i just couldn't stop though i wanted to keep cranking out episodes over the holiday break i did take off christmas eve and christmas day and new year's eve and new year's day obviously to spend time with maggie and uh, little willie g little willie g so i continued to go and now i see people are actually catching back up uh, going back to the episodes that came out right before christmas so i want to thank you all it's very difficult in the world we live in today especially in podcasting or if you're running an internet-based type business where you don't actually meet people face to face you know your customers your clients people that actually listen to this show because you don't have any human connection you don't know if i'm real you don't know if i'm some shill you don't know if i'm some operative some controlled opposition a misinformation or disinformation agent and so there's other people that talk about these types of topics i try to do it in a different fashion i try to mix in my own personal history my life story my worldview my family because i want you guys to understand that i am a real person the person you see here uh minus the gold aviator sunglasses is me i'm not just a made-up brand and i try to be completely transparent with you folks about where i stand you know my divorce i went through my situation now my wife maggie our plans for the future and as i start to develop my goals i like to share those with you because it may spark some you know creativity uh inside of you that makes you start to plan for the future as well so i want to thank all of you for coming back to the show for catching up and i almost feel bad now that i put out so many episodes because you got to go back and catch up on those but heck i mean it's free content if you're listening on the free side so uh enjoy it ladies and gentlemen enjoy it while you can 
Uh, so thank you all for that. If you can leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts and a comment, we'd appreciate that very much. It does help drive us up the rankings. I'd like to reach more people with this message, you know, with what I talk about here, the history of technocracy and transhumanism, or as I call it, technocratic transhumanism, where we are in the present day and where I think we're going to go in the future. And that way people can start to develop realistic goals for how they want to deal with that future that lies ahead. I think it's important to have a full and complete understanding of your enemy, of where they're at, where they're going, and then starting to figure out how much of this technocratic prison planet you're willing to tolerate. And then you can make realistic plans for how you're going to live one foot in and one foot out of that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment, folks, in a moment. But like, I'd like to say now, the other thing is tonight, because I had mentioned it before, and I know people have written me now about the bread stuff. So I've got a couple different breads I'm making now. And then tonight's going to be my first attempt at sourdough, because I've got the sourdough starter. It's uh, running strong, ladies and gentlemen. So tonight, I'm going to whip up a sourdough, and I'll be able to bake that tomorrow, so I'll let you know how that goes. And then once I have that worked out, I'm going to try some darker breads, like a rye bread, uh, maybe a marbled type of bread. We're going to try that. And then once I have that done, when it warms up a little bit, I am going to work on starting to bake bread out on fire because I want to be able to do it without electricity. And I'll make some actual videos uh, when I do that. I think it's something people might be interested in. So anyway, the bread stuff is going well, folks. It's going well. Uh, Today, had a couple of very interesting conversations. Uh, I'm lining up all these guests I've talked to you about, getting them scheduled, figuring out exactly what we're going to talk about. As you know, yesterday we had on Coach Saji, and I hope you guys really listen to that, episode 126. I believe this guy is honest. I believe he's the real deal, at least as far as I can tell now. Uh, He's willing to call out some of the controlled opposition within the COVID land influencer space. I think he's got a unique history. He used to work for Big Pharma. He understands the game. And so we had a really good in-depth conversation on germ theory versus terrain theory. We talked about vaccines in general. We talked about viruses and bacteria and fungus and how the body is designed to work. We talked about even some psychological operations used during COVID land, the high school theater production. We talked about natural medicine, holistic medicine, homeopathy. Uh, versus allopathic medicine, which is what the sort of modern Rockefeller industrial medical complex is based on. Very, very enlightening conversation. I learned a lot. I hope you did. That was episode 126, so check that out. Tomorrow on Friday, Wide Awake Jim is coming back to continue his research into the Bank for International Settlements, Central Bank Digital Currency, and the Climate Change Hustle. As I've said, Jim is going to be a regular until we get through all of his documents ladies and gentlemen then we're going to talk a little bit with him not tomorrow but we will get into the oil and gas royalties business that he is involved with uh, why he believes that is a fairly safe and sound investment vehicle Uh, I know more and more people have reached out to me asking what to do with their current investments 
their 401ks, their IRAs, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not a financial planner. I don't give out financial advice. I didn't go to school for that. I'm not licensed in that. I just have conversations with folks about it. I'm interested in what people are doing with their money, if they have any, how they're investing it, how they're trying to hedge against inflation. So I think what Jim is offering, uh, he is personally invested in all of the properties in which he controls uh, mineral rights in which they sell as an investment vehicle with him and along with his uh, business partner. Uh, so far, he has shared a lot with me, he actually just shared a document with me on the latest property that they have mineral rights on. And he explained it all to me. It's it's rather fascinating. I've, I've heard a little bit about it in the past, but never looked into it until I met Jim. So I said, listen, why don't you talk to the audience about it? Because people are looking for places to move their money. In all honesty, I have a couple of uh, relatives that are taking a look at the documents that Jim sent over and are uh, considering it as a possible investment, but I'd rather have Jim explain it because he's the expert. I am not. So we'll get into that uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, Again, just solution ideas for folks, things to throw around. We're going to have a lot more guests on. I've got some people I'm lining up that are in the uh, precious metals business. Uh, I don't really uh, push, I'm not going to push cryptocurrencies or anything like that uh, because I think that's all tied into central bank digital currency. But today, I just had uh, two conversations with two folks from pain.tv slash gold that I've been meaning to call, and I've been so tied up with uh, Willie G, but he's finally getting settled into his schedule now. These conversations were very enlightening, and don't worry, there's a couple other people on my list, including Organized Chaos over at pain.tv slash gold. I know you reached out yesterday. I, I just by coincidence, had time to start calling potential guests. And so I went into my pain.tv box, which I haven't checked in a while, and I saw Organized Chaos thinking I was uh, ghosting them, and I apologize, I was not. It's just been so busy with the holidays and trying to work around Willie G's ever-changing schedule that I haven't had a chance to call you. So I promise uh, I'll be reaching out to you tomorrow. Uh, But today, I spoke with a gentleman named Mark. He's the husband of a pain.tv slash gold member and mark has been studying the bible for many many years he knows all about the different variations of the bible translations of the bible um, different sort of charlatan folks that have grabbed hold of it they change the wording in it they change the meaning of it so he's been studying it for quite some time. Him and his wife had listened to the interview with Dan Golvach. I believe that was episode 115, where we talked about the AI personal Jesus Antichrist. So Mark's wife had reached out to me. And I think this is going to be a great conversation. Mark has also studied uh, the Nazis. He studied American history, knows quite a bit. And so we had about an hour conversation today. You know, I got to feel you guys out, all right? I got to make sure you're not crazy. You're not going to come on here and say stuff that's going to get me thrown off the air. Uh, And so it's going to be a great conversation. So we have Mark booked for Saturday. I'm going to have Mark come on Saturday. So tomorrow will be Wide Awake Jim. Saturday will be Mark. Sunday, I'm going to leave open to continue to cover industrial society and its future, which we are in the middle of right now. 
And then on Monday, we've got Justin coming on. What a wealth of knowledge, folks. This guy is out in Colorado. He was a deputy sheriff at one point. We're going to get into that and sort of how his worldview shifted from a ultra-conservative, as he calls it, to what he is today. And now he's involved with ranching. He grew up in and around ranching. He knows all about farming. He has friends that are preppers. He has a piece of land that they had to regenerate after using pesticides. He knows a bit about building properties and homesteads that are truly off the grid. He knows a lot, folks. I mean, this is going to be an amazing conversation. You talk about solutions. We're going to get into some real-world solutions. And we're going to be able to talk about if you have these dreams, which hopefully you'll turn into goals, and then you're going to start to develop the solutions to get from where you are today in order to reach those goals, it's folks like Justin that are going to help us get to that point. All right. When you talk about Wide Awake Jim, you know, he's telling you go analog, use cash, know your local farmer, all real world solutions. Start to think about money that you have, investments you have, moving those around to safer investment vehicles in order to hedge against inflation. Those are all realistic solutions. And Justin's going to talk about it now from the standpoint of uh, starting to build out skills that you can use in an off-the-grid situation, or if you decide to go half Amish, how to start to actually put together a homestead, how to actually start to work towards these goals that you may have and turn them into a reality, not just dream about them or talk about them, but actually be able to start to work towards those goals and end up in a situation where you're going to be able to achieve them because they're realistic and you're not going to make mistakes along the way. You're not going to go buy 10 acres out in the middle of, say, West Virginia, where I'm looking, and then realize that you can't farm that land because the soil's polluted, or maybe it's a restricted area. You didn't realize that, and you can't build a barn there or outbuilding. So we're going to get into a lot of that stuff with Justin. I mean, this is so great, folks, that we're getting people from our community here to reach out and want to share their knowledge, their skill set with this audience. I, I find it to be truly unbelievable. And what we're going to be doing, as I've mentioned a few times in the coming days, we're going to start publishing the back catalog of this show to YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, and BitChute, although I hate all of those platforms. But we're going to be doing that because there are a lot of folks who don't go listen to audio podcasts or they're not going to join or they can't afford to join pain.tv slash gold. So now that we're about three months behind i'm going to start publishing this stuff to the video sites and see if we can build the community that way and there's some folks that just like to watch video they don't like to listen to audio only podcasts so we'll be doing that and seeing if we can reach more folks and then this way we'll build a bigger community we'll have more people who are interested in coming on as guests as i really want to build this organic base of guests real folks out there people from the streets you know not necessarily necessarily recycled guests that have been on every show within the shill network i really have no interest in talking to those people first off they're generally working off of a script and they don't veer outside of that script where if we start to talk with organic folks 
um, people like my uh, farmer, Farmer Carol. You know, she's real. She doesn't go around on podcasts. So we're going to learn a lot from her, and it's going to be something new that you've never actually heard before. So that's the direction we are moving in 2023. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm moving in the direction of a short break. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from the break. My name is Dustin Gold right here on pain.tv slash gold and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. I was thinking about it over the break, folks. One of the things I just wanted to get across, when we're talking about developing these goals and then trying to reach them and doing it in a way where you come from uh, being educated on these subjects so you don't make mistakes, you don't waste time, you don't waste money. You know, for instance, one of the things that we're talking about, we have gardens that we started uh, here last year. As soon as we found out Maggie was pregnant, we said, all right, this is it. We're going to start getting everything from local farms and we're going to start growing our own vegetables, right? But one of the things we don't know, right, is how polluted the soil actually is, okay? From runoff, from factories, from, I don't know, guys, chemtrails, cloud seeding. We know cloud seeding is real. I just started doing research into cloud seeding the other day because of a conversation that was going back and forth between Wide Awake Jim and Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, okay? And so we were talking about chemtrails and arsenic and cloud seeding, and I had researched cloud seeding years ago. I knew that it was real, but even that kind of stuff, some people will brush off as conspiracy theory. Well, there's eight states, uh, at least eight states, that admit to cloud seeding, Colorado being one of them. So Justin, the guest who's going to come out on Monday, is going to talk a little bit about that. In fact, one of the farmers he knows actually has a cloud seeding unit on his farm that he can just turn on and pump dry ice and silver iodide into the sky and make it rain. So we're going to talk to him about that. But see, we have, for instance, a mile down the street is Fort Detrick. All right? Fort Detrick is where they did the MK Ultra Mind Control experiments. Uh, they were doing COVID stuff there, mRNA research. I mean, who knows what's being emitted out of Fort Detrick? And it gets into the soil if they're spraying in the sky, what's in the soil. This is all stuff that you can't really control, right? So if you go build a, a garden, you know, or you're going to farm your land out in a homestead in the middle of West Virginia, um, and you don't understand what's in the soil, what could be coming. I mean, look, just in, in small terms, if the government wanted to stop you from growing vegetables on your farm, they could spray the sky and kill all of your all of your vegetables. So a lot of the questions I'm going to be asking of ranchers and farmers and others I start to bring on the show, I want to figure out before I get my homestead out in West Virginia, or before I start building out this piece of land that we have in Poland, 
Is is there a way that I could insulate myself further? Could I do everything inside of a greenhouse structure? Uh, is there a way that I could regenerate soil and then use that soil inside of my greenhouse and it's pure soil and it's protected, let's say, from cloud seeding, uh, either the chemicals being sprayed down onto my plants or down onto the soil and absorbed up through the roots of my plants? I don't know all this. This is also why in 2024, my goals are to get certified in permaculture and horticulture because I want to know all this. So if I'm going to go out into West Virginia, invest all this time, energy, money, you know, resources into building out, let's say on uh, five or 10 acres, I'm going to farm a half acre, right? I want to make sure if there's a way that I could further insulate myself, not just grow the vegetables and the fruits or whatever, but be able to put that in a greenhouse or do something to further protect it from cloud seeding, from chemical runoff or whatever, I'd like to know that ahead of time because I don't want to invest all the energy and then a year later, all of a sudden my plants are dead and I realize that they're cloud seeding in West Virginia or the chemtrails are real. You know, who really knows? Who really knows? So if there's a way to protect against that, then I would rather do it right the first time than make those kind of mistakes. So that's a lot about a lot of what we're going to talk about as we get into solutions. Uh, I was just giving an example to someone yesterday. I said, it's kind of like starting a business without putting a business plan together. So let's say I came up with this idea. I'm talking about this gold business. And there's some some parts that I don't want to share yet. They might be part of my my secret sauce. But let's say I come up with the idea. I want to buy scrap gold and then melt it down, refine it, and sell it to other folks. And then tonight, I just pay $10,000 to a web designer to design the website and go get photos done for my marketing and buy all the refining equipment. And all of a sudden now I'm one week in and I've loaded up my credit card with $20,000 in debt. And then three weeks later, I find out that it's not a viable business. You know, there's not enough people to buy gold from, or there are 17 other competitors that have been doing it for years, and I can't beat their prices. And all of a sudden, now I got this isn't a viable business. I just wasted $25,000 or $20,000 or whatever it is, and all this energy and brain power and creativity to start to build a business is not viable. And so that's what I'm talking about when setting these goals for yourself. Let's say building a homestead. You want to make sure it's viable. You want to make sure that it's actually going to protect you or insulate you from a coming collapse or an orchestrated supply chain issue or a power grid going down, you know, because the government orchestrates such. You want to be able to make sure that your plans include Uh, all of that stuff in it so that your homestead actually does what you want it to do, where you want to be able to insulate and protect yourself uh, from a coming collapse or some orchestrated scenario or the next pandemic or whatever it may be. So that's everything I'm going to be talking about. Now, as I've said before, sort of my plan on educating yourself and others, uh, insulating yourself and your family, separating yourself from densely populated areas, congregated with like-minded folks, and accelerating, putting your foot on the gas because they're coming at you at warp speed, will accelerate the education first. 
okay, and then accelerate the plans. Uh, I am actually working off a timeline, but I'm trying not to rush myself, okay? If all of a sudden CBDC is coming two weeks from now and they're going to cloud seed everything and destroy all the plants, I mean, they're ahead of me. They're going to beat me. So I'm trying to operate within a realistic timeline that I have to have everything in place and done by about 2030. Because that's when I think a lot of this stuff is going to be locked in, cemented in. Uh, but if I think that it's coming a week from now and I'm trying to rush and I'm just running around like a chicken with my head cut off, then I'm not going to accomplish anything anyway. I'm just going to waste a bunch of energy. So I would have to then regroup and come up with another plan. So we'll talk more about this. I'll share more of this stuff with you uh, over time. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting topics that are floating around in conversations among some of the people I do research with. We're looking at the 15-minute city. Um, this is something now that Oxford uh, in England is implementing. I know people were sharing that with me on Twitter. Well, guys, it's actually already in the works here in Utah. They're actually taking an old prison and converting it into a 15-minute city. It's uh, 600 acres, I believe. And the idea of the 15-minute city is that you live in a city, you should have access, okay? It should be inclusive. Uh, you should have access to everything you need within 15 minutes. It's a planned city, okay? It comes out of urban planning, basically a smart city. It's a prison. So isn't it hilarious that in Utah, they're taking a prison and converting it into a prison. It's basically what it's going to be. And they have identified over 25 cities in America right now that are already ready to be turned into 15-minute cities. This actually overlaps with a lot of the opportunity zones that came out of the Trump administration under Dr. Ben Carson, Jared Kushner, and partners are invested in a lot of this stuff, folks. It's all orchestrated. So 15-minute city, I spent 15 minutes and I was driven down into 16 different rabbit holes. So that kind of stuff we're going to eventually cover here to show people what's coming and what you want to avoid. But right now, I, I want to keep my focus for the next uh, few episodes in between our guests on industrial society and its future. So if you guys missed the discussion on this we started on this in episode 125 i actually started on it back in episode 10 when i was in poland i was not able to complete and then i decided to leave it until later and i think it's going to be a lot more important now for you to understand this so this was written in 1995 it's called industrial society and its future it's a paper uh, that was written. It's about 34 pages. And so on episode 125, we started going through it. And I've got it up on the screen now for the video audience over at pain.tv slash gold. Uh, we went through the introduction. Uh, and this author who wrote this talks about the industrial uh, revolution. And really what he's actually referring to in this, uh, the industrial technological society, he's talking about technocracy. Uh, he just isn't calling it by that name, all right? Then what we do is we get into the psychology of the modern leftists. And this is the psychology of the modern leftists back in 1995. But in reality, it hasn't really changed. And I told you guys in episode 125, if you come from the left, don't get upset and tune this out. This author is very nuanced. He's not right. He's not left. He's just telling it how it is. 
All right. So he gets into feelings of inferiority back then, uh, connecting this to the left. But even in today, where I think a lot of uh, left, right labels, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, whatever, have been totally blended up. Uh, I think uh, part of that grew out of the Donald Trump 2015 presidential race. People don't really identify by label. It's hard to put yourself in a box uh, now. So you see a lot of people even on the right. Uh, or identify as being on the right, uh, suffer from feelings of inferiority. So we went through that. And now we're on a section called over-socialization. Again, a characteristic that this author ties to folks on the left, but I think you'll even see people on the right. And this idea of over-socialization, you can really put that into terms of like a Ken or a Karen, you know, which people would identify as sort of stereotypes on the left. But if you're on the left and you see people on the right that are trying to tell you how to live and you have to conform to certain rules and regulations and the social contract and certain morality, those people have been sort of over-socialized as well. So right now we're on paragraph 29, and the way this paper reads is it's broken into paragraph numbers. And I reference those because eventually I'm going to take these episodes and I'm going to plug them into YouTube that's going to transcribe them for free. I wanted to transcribe all these episodes initially, but uh, you have to use AI, you know, software as a service type product. And they're charging, I think, about 10 cents a minute at this point. So every episode I do that's a two-hour episode is going to cost about $12. So that would cost me about $360 a month, which I really don't want to spend right now. So YouTube transcribes for free. See, these are using the tools uh, that the technocrats developed uh, against them because it will benefit me to get a hold of this transcript as well. And then that way, when I eventually put these up at a new platform we're working on, or you want to go find this on YouTube, you can type in the paragraph number and be able to search that and then find uh, this stuff a lot easier. All right, folks, so when I get back from the break, we're going to pick right up with paragraph 29. I really want to start to work through industrial society and its future for you because I'm going to weave this in between all of the upcoming guest interviews, and there's going to be a lot of guests, it looks like, for the month of January. It's time to expand your knowledge, ladies and gentlemen, but right now it's time to take a short break. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. On pain.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the break. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv. All right, folks, let's pick up where we left off. I'm not going to go back because these paragraphs or these sections 
are rather long, so I don't want to go back and have to re-explain it. So if you're interested, please just go listen to episode 125, parts 1 through 4. All right, this is paragraph 29. It says, here is an illustration of the way in which the over-socialized leftist shows his real attachment to the conventional attitudes of our society while pretending to be in rebellion against it. Many leftists push for affirmative action, for moving black people into high-prestige jobs, for improved education in black schools and more money for such schools. The way of life of the black underclass they regard as a social disgrace. They want to integrate the black man into the system, make him a business executive, a lawyer, a scientist, just like upper middle class white people. The leftists will reply that the last thing they want is to make the black man into a copy of the white man. Instead, they want to preserve African American culture. But in what does this preservation of African American culture consist? It can hardly consist in anything more than eating black style food, listening to black style music, wearing black style clothing, and going to a black style church or mosque. In other words, it can express itself only in superficial matters. In all essential respects, most leftists of the over-socialized type want to make the black man conform to white middle-class ideals. They want to make him study technical subjects, become an executive or a scientist, spend his life climbing the status ladder to prove that black people are as good as white. They want to make black fathers, quote, responsible, end quote. They want black gangs to become nonviolent, etc. But these are exactly the values of the industrial technological system. The system couldn't care less what kind of music a man listens to, what kind of clothes he wears, or what religion he believes in, as long as he studies in school, holds a respectable job, climbs the status ladder, is a, quote, responsible, end quote, parent, is nonviolent, and so forth. In effect, however, much he may deny it, the over-socialized leftist wants to integrate the black man into the system and make him adopt its values. So, folks, when he's referring to this, when the author's referring to this, going back here to 1995, for those of you that are younger or you haven't been paying attention to this, this was a big pushback then, affirmative action and trying to integrate the black man into what he calls this industrial system. Although the community organizers, the leftist activists, the progressives, whatever they may be, maybe think in their minds and their hearts, they're doing the right thing. Uh, What they're doing is exactly what the author talks about, trying to push these people that they consider to be lesser than them, whether they realize it or not, they see them as lesser, into the very system in which they claim to be fighting against. They are fighting the man, but trying to merge the black man into the man's system. 
So they are therefore trying to re- erase uh, African-American culture. This is no different than what we've been covering here over the last several episodes with the economic terrorists, the International Monetary Fund, the Bank for International Settlements, the World Bank, these organizations uh, that go in to these countries that they consider to be poor or poverty-stricken when they look at it in terms of uh, comparing it to a so-called capitalist society or a materialistic consumer-driven society, which is actually more accurate, they go in and they find these indigenous folks and they say, look at these disenfranchised people. We can come and save them by giving them Nike t-shirts and Disney Channel backpacks. And that's what happens. So they're actually going in and trying to engineer them into the system. The IMF, the BIS... And the World Bank, I believe, are doing it because they know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to take hold of those people's territories, countries, because they're going to go in and steal their natural resources and drive them into the prison planet state system. But the people on the ground that work for the World Bank, BIS, IMF, these are true believers. They're young people that went to college for this. They were indoctrinated with this. And it's the same that was going on here in 95 with black folks and you'll see this mentality and this attitude alive and well today talk to a social worker talk to a community activist talk to any of these government workers you're going to see this alive and well today but he's pointing out the hypocrisy the hypocrisy and this is important because we're going to get into we're already discussing it really the psychology of humanity what has actually happened we're going to be talking more about this momentarily all right paragraph 30 it says we certainly do not claim that leftists even of the over socialized type never rebel against the fundamental values of our society clearly they sometimes do some over socialized leftists have gone so far as to rebel against one of modern society's most important principles by engaging in physical violence by their own account violence is for them a form of quote liberation end quote in other words by committing violence they break through the psychological restraints that have been trained into them because they are over socialized these restraints have been more confining for them than others Hence, their need to break free of them. But they usually justify their rebellion in terms of mainstream values. If they engage in violence, they claim to be fighting against racism or the like. And you saw a lot of this happen in the last uh, few years with Antifa, you know, the anti-fascist with BLM, Black Lives Matter. Right, you see this, I I mean, even in a sense, uh, and I wouldn't even say the January 6th thing was really violent, but you see this, right? So they're breaking free of the system by committing violence, but then they blame the violence on uh, the social issues that they consider themselves to be bound by, right? So BLM obviously would say we're burning down cities uh, and flipping over police cars because we're fighting back against systemic racism or the anti-fascist antifa will say they're fighting back against you know oppression or they're fighting against fascist trump and they're all for democracy or whatever it may be right and i shouldn't really have even brought january 6th into that because january 6th is really connected to the right not the leftists and we're talking about the leftists and in my eyes january 6th was really just 
completely concocted and orchestrated anyway yeah there were real people there that got pulled into it and that's really the same as black lives matter and uh antifa and these movements and tear down the statue and all this other nonsense it's really just uh orchestrated by community organizers paid for by the elites and then yes on the ground 95 percent of the people are actually real but because of the hive mind they get driven into this stuff you know they go along uh with the crowd and as this author has discussed these people have a very hard time operating as individuals this is why they hate individualism because they really have low self-esteem inferiority complex they don't believe in themselves and so they need to be part of a team part of a group so they get driven into these packs by the elitists through their community organizers and then they'll do whatever the pack is actually doing it all serves a uh, purpose. It's all part of psychological warfare. And we're going to eventually uh, go deep into psychological warfare. I found an author who's written some really good books that I've reached out to, and I'm going to try to get them on uh, this show. In fact, I'm willing to actually criticize myself at some point because <laughs> based on what this author wrote, uh, I'm actually taking part in apparently the psychological warfare. I, I don't want to be part of it, but apparently this author uh, says that people that are trying to explain it are actually getting pulled into the psychological warfare and becoming poor, part of the operation. I will explain that um, in an upcoming show, folks. I just took a note of it. All right, epi- uh, paragraph 31 It says, we realize that many objections could be raised to the foregoing thumbnail sketch of leftist psychology. The real situation is complex, and anything like a complete description of it would take several volumes, even if the necessary data were available. We claim only to have indicated very roughly the two most important tendencies in the psychology of the modern leftist. And what he's talking about is over-socialization and inferiority complex. Again, if you want to understand that, go back to episode uh, 125. It says here, paragraph 32, the problems of the leftists are indicative of the problems of our society as a whole. Low self-esteem, depressive tendencies, and defeatism are not restricted to the left. Though they are especially noticeable in the left, they are widespread in our society. And today's society tries to socialize us to a greater extent than any previous society. We are even told by experts how to eat, how to exercise, how to make love, how to raise our kids, and so forth. And that's what I was explaining to you. That this is not, this is not confined to the left. There's folks that identify on the right. There's folks that don't even care about politics that suffer from inferiority complex and over-socialization. And as you're reading or listening to me read this document, you should also understand this idea that he's talking about socialization and this over-socialization of society. He's talking about how we are um, socialized to a greater extent than any other previous society, and he's pointing this out 28 years ago in 1995. You have to think of that as what we've already identified here, which is the science of social engineering. That comes out of the very definition of technocracy by the technocrats themselves. So in this paper so far, getting up to paragraph 32, 
We've already identified this author talking about technocracy, which he happens to call the industrial technological system. That's technocracy. And he's talking about the definition of it, the science of social engineering. How do you socially engineer society into the system and when he's referring to the system he's talking about the industrial technological system that's technocracy so he's really breaking down the psychology of how the system of technocracy engineers people into the system of technocracy folks i'm telling you this was written in 1995 it is mind-blowing We'll talk about it when we're all done. I am not sure if this paper was really written by the guy that it was credited to and he was actually a prophet predicting all this stuff, explaining it all, or if maybe the guy it's credited to was a patsy. Or maybe he was some kind of a mind-controlled messenger. I don't really know. We know the government mind controls. That's all real. It's not conspiracy theory. Uh, We've shown you this. They admit it in their own uh, papers, documents, speeches, all their government mad scientists, Frankenstein doctors talk about it. So maybe the guy was a mind-controlled messenger who was really just bringing forth revelation of method, revealing the method, giving us an opportunity to revolt. And if we don't revolt, then the guys in power through their dark spirituality that we've talked about with Dan Golvach and we'll get into with Mark when he is on Saturday that it keeps their conscience clear, their karma intact, because they told us what's going to happen. Maybe this is no different than The Matrix or 1984 or Brave New World. It's just revelation of method. And this is how they get away with doing it in their weird, dark you know, spiritual ways. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's take a short break. Think about this stuff. We're going to be right back. Very important section called the power process. This is going to explain exactly why humans are so out of whack. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain. .tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. And ladies and gentlemen, I had taken off during the last segment my gold aviators that I wear because it matches the logo I made of myself. I do wear sunglasses in real life, so it wasn't a stretch. I never really was into the gold uh, sunglasses, but I took those off because sometimes it's hard to read the screen. I'm looking through some cables, and so I took them off, but now I I also remembered why I have them on. One is because it helps uh, with the studio light that's in front of me, and number two, uh, my screen that I do my producing on is over to the left, and so when I turn my head sometimes, you don't see where my eyes go, so I figure for the uh, video audience, you're not going to notice it that much. Now, you see me actually looking off to the left to my production screen. I don't know. One day, maybe we'll stack screens or something, or I'll have a producer. But for now, 
that's the way it is. All right, let's jump right back into this Industrial Society and its Future 1995 paper. We'll talk about the author when we're all done with this, folks, and it's going to take a few episodes to get through this. So we're on a section called The Power Process. Paragraph 33, human beings have a need probably based in biology, for something that we will call the power process. This is closely related to the need for power, which is widely recognized, but it is not quite the same thing. The power process has four elements. The three most clear-cut of these we call goal, effort, and attainment of goal. Everyone needs to have goals, whose attainment requires effort and needs to succeed in attaining at least some of his goals. The fourth element is more difficult to define and may not be necessary for everyone. We call it autonomy, and we will discuss it later in paragraphs 42 to 44. All right, you understand this? It's great, actually, because we've been talking about goals, solutions, how you're going to reach those goals here. So what he is saying is that wired into humans is this power process. And the three most clear-cut of the elements contained within the power process are goal, effort, and attainment of goal. And you have to attain at least some of those goals, right? That's just how it works. You're going to end up depressed and you're going to hate yourself. And then the fourth one is autonomy. And we'll get into that a little later. It says number 34. Consider the hypothetical case of a man who can have anything he wants just by wishing for it. Such a man has power, but he will develop serious psychological problems. At first, he will have a lot of fun, but by and by he will become acutely bored and demoralized. Eventually, he may become clinically depressed. History shows that leisured aristocracies tend to become decadent. This is not true of fighting aristocracies that have to struggle to maintain their power. But leisured, secure aristocracies that have no need to exert themselves usually become bored. uh, Hedonistic and demoralized, even though they have power. This shows that power is not enough. One must have goals toward which to exercise one's power. Do you under? I think that's pretty clear cut, folks. I mean, do you understand that? So, if you have power, right, but everything comes to you so easy, you're going to still end up depressed. I mean, let's look at it from the point of money, right? Where the people say money does not buy happiness. Well, if you're a trust fund kid with endless amounts of money, you see a lot of these folks out there depressed. They become drug addicts, alcoholics. Why? Because they're not getting up and doing anything. They're not working towards any goals. They don't have to work extra hours to get the money they need because they want to buy their kid a bunk bed or whatever it may be. They're not saving up to get that homestead. They're not out there guarding gardening in uh, March so that in April and May they can start to eat these delicious heirloom tomatoes because everything comes to them so easily. Uh, Paragraph 35, everyone has goals, if nothing else, to obtain the physical necessities of life, food, water, and whatever clothing and shelter are made necessary by the climate. But the leisured aristocrat obtains these things without effort. 
Hence his boredom and demoralization. All right, that's what we just discussed. 36, non-attainment of important goals results in death if the goals are physical necessities. And in frustration, if non-attainment of the goals is compatible with survival. Consistent failure to attain goals throughout life results in defeatism, low self-esteem, or depression. All right, are you, are you grasping what's going on? So the author here, he's breaking this down, what is naturally wired into humans. We're going to get into more depth on this, so I don't want to talk too much because I'm going to end up giving it away because I've read this several times in my life, so I don't want to jump the gun. All right, let's continue. Paragraph 37. Thus, in order to avoid serious psychological problems, a human being needs goals whose attainment requires effort and he must have a reasonable rate of success in attaining his goals right so you need to have goals you need to exert effort to achieve the goals and you need to have some sort of a reasonable rate of success right you have to succeed at achieving some of those goals in order to keep you marching forward and not end up drowning yourself in a bottle and uh, we're going to get into some of that with my friend Steve, who's going to be coming on the show soon. He is a life coach now who overcame alcoholism and depression, divorce, and a bunch of other stuff. I think he's going to help inspire folks that are out there, not just those that have uh, issues like that, but folks that just need a little kick in the butt, you know, to get out there and start working towards your goals. All right, let's look at surrogate activities. Paragraph 38. But not every leisured aristocrat becomes bored and demoralized. For example, the emperor Hirohito, instead of sinking into decadent hedonism, devoted himself to marine biology, a field in which he became distinguished. When people do not have to exert themselves to satisfy their physical needs, they often set up artificial goals for themselves. In many cases, they then pursue these goals with the same energy and emotional involvement that they otherwise would have put into the search for physical necessities. Thus, the aristocrats of the Roman Empire had their literary pretensions. Many European aristocrats a few centuries ago invested tremendous time and energy in hunting, though they certainly didn't need the meat. Other aristocracies have competed for status through elaborate displays of wealth, and a few aristocrats like Hirohito have turned to science. Now, this is really important, and I hope I'm going to be able to do justice to this and break it down for you. Because first you're talking about the power process. And, and uh, this will be explained, but let me just say it now. Think about 200 years ago before the industrial boom, right? Before the world that we're living under today, technocracy. And I don't know, you lived out in a little cabin with your wife and your nine children. Uh, let's say you're, you're a guy. I'm talking to the guys here. All right, so you're living out in a cabin with your wife and your nine children. And every day you have to wake up and go out into the woods uh, through the rain, through the snow, through the storms, through whatever it may be, freezing cold. And you have to go kill a deer or a couple of rabbits or whatever it may be to bring that food home to your family, right? Your wife 
She wakes up every day and she's taking care of the house. She's cooking the food. She's raising the children. She's actually exerting a lot of energy doing this. She might go out into the cold, the same as you, and go gather. She may be picking potatoes. She may be uh, scrounging together mushrooms in the woods, whatever it may be. But you guys are exerting your energy towards the things that you actually need to survive that day. If you fail, you will starve. If you fail, you may die or one of your children may die. So you're out there exerting this energy. Your goal is to get a deer. Your wife's goal is to collect a basket of potatoes. Uh, Both of you are working to protect the family, make sure a grizzly bear or some guy who's coming to steal your meat or your vegetables doesn't come in the house. That's what your day is, right? In the world we live in today, We go out into the workforce and we collect food coupons from our boss in the form of fiat currency, eventually central bank digital currency. You bring that home and then you're using that to go to the grocery store where you have no fear of being eaten by a grizzly bear or starving to death out in the cold. And so as the author will make the case... Even for the poorest person here in the United States, life isn't really that hard. There's always a safety net, right? So then what happens is, in this world, when things are taken care of and it becomes too easy, you start to adopt what's called surrogate activities. Now, we're going to talk about this. I'm going to break it down because we're going to talk about surrogate activities adopted by, I don't know, maybe you. You sit on your couch and you cheer on a football team and you say, there's my team. It has nothing to do with you. You don't own stock in it. You don't win a trophy if they win a game. Uh, All the way to these rich people like the aristocrats the author is talking about. But in today's world, right, the Klaus Schwabs, the Yuval Noah Hararis, the Bill Gates, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Elon Musk, the Peter Thiels, the Jeff Bezos, these type of folks that end up with all these surrogate activities. Like, for instance, Bill Gates saying, well, I have enough money because I did Microsoft. Now I'm going to get into vaccines. Now we're going to get into population control. Now we're going to get into spraying silver up in the sky and aluminum in the sky to block the sun. See, this surrogate activity situation transfers from both you know regular middle class folks or even folks somewhat in poverty all the way up to these elites whose lives are so easy they now develop surrogate activities and they go out there and they're trying to play god this is going to explain to you why this happens how it's allowed to happen look if bill gates was living in a cabin in the middle of the mountains of west virginia And he was forced to go out there and hunt deer to bring home. And he was worried about some black bear eating him. Guess what? He wouldn't be uh, doing what he's done to this country, to this world, over the last few decades. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. Not in a few decades. In a few minutes as we step away for this short commercial break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain. 
Zap.tv slash gold. All right, folks, again, we are reviewing Industrial Society and its future, written in 1995, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's continue. We're on paragraph 39. It says, we use the term surrogate activity to designate an activity that is directed toward an artificial goal that people set up for themselves merely in order to have some goal to work toward, or let's say merely for the cake of fulfillment that they get from pursuing the goal. Here is a rule of thumb for the identification of surrogate activities. Given a person who devotes much time and energy to the pursuit of goal X, ask yourself this. If he had to devote most of his time and energy to satisfying his biological needs, and if that effort required him to use his physical and mental faculties in a varied and interesting way, would he feel seriously deprived because he did not attain goal X? If the answer is no, then the person's pursuit of goal X is a surrogate activity. Right? That's what I was just talking about. Hirohito's studies in marine biology clearly constituted a surrogate activity. Since it is pretty certain that if Hirohito had spent, uh, had to spend his time working at interesting non-scientific tasks, or in order to obtain the necessities of life, he would not have felt deprived, because he didn't know all about the anatomy and life cycles of marine animals. On the other hand, <laughs> this is a, on the other hand, the pursuit of sex and love, for example, is not a surrogate activity because most people, even if their existence were otherwise satisfactory, would feel deprived if they passed their lives without ever having a relationship with a member of the opposite sex. But pursuit of an excessive amount of sex, more than one really needs, can be a surrogate activity. So these would be folks that become uh, sexaholics, you know, or addicted to pornography, right? So do you understand what he's saying? If Hirohito had to go out there and uh, fight a grizzly bear and kill it to bring home the meat to his family, he wouldn't have had the time to get into marine biology. And if he didn't get into marine biology because he was fighting to get those physical necessities, food, water, shelter that he needed for his family to survive, would he really even uh, be depressed by the absence of having learned marine biology? And if the answer is no, then the marine biology is in fact a surrogate activity. All right, it goes on. And now, and then the other thing is, let me just point this out. I'm not saying the author is 100% correct. I'm showing you something that was written in 95 under pretty uh, strange circumstances, as you'll see later on as we cover this in future episodes. But the author makes a great point. Uh, one of the other themes you're going to see come up throughout this is whether technology and humanity could truly coexist in harmony. And this is a question I've asked myself. I've spent hundreds upon hundreds of hours trying to go over that in my head 
Obviously, I've spent a lot of time in my personal life doing research, which I've delivered to you here at the Dustin Gold Standard on such topics, because it is a question that I think is probably the most, in question, uh, the most important question of our time. I have come to the conclusion that technology and humanity cannot coexist uh, in harmony. The technology will eventually destroy humanity. In fact, it is actually humanity destroying itself because humanity is the one developing the very technology that will be the end of uh, humanity itself, right? Genetic modification, artificial intelligence, robots, brain chips, that's all developed by humans. And so uh, there's going to be things that, that I hope spark uh you know you to go do further research or sit back for a moment with your eyes closed in the dark in the quiet and think about this because this author brings up a lot of very important stuff you know so most people would say to me and i've had this conversation with many well i wouldn't be happy living in a little shelter out in the middle of the woods with just my spouse and my nine children and hunting deer and just trying to survive. I like the world that I live in today where I have uh, disposable income and I can acquire materialistic possessions and I can have a 87-inch flat-screen TV and three car payments and a McMansion in the suburbs and a boat that I can go use on the weekends. And that's all fine and dandy, and I, I agree. Those things can be very nice, especially when you can afford them. You're not uh, drowning yourself in debt. You can enjoy this in time with your family. But what happens is you're going to start to see uh, a lot of the problems that, that we complain about, right, are all connected to this sort of lifestyle, this society, this culture, this system of technocracy that we currently live under. And I think you're going to start to see that it's almost impossible to have both. Uh, you know, you'll see. I think you're going to see this as we go through it. I, again, I don't want to jump the gun here, but I want you to understand where this conversation is going. All right, paragraph 40. In modern industrial society, only minimal effort is necessary to satisfy one's physical needs. It is enough to go through a training program to acquire some petty technical skill, then come to work on time and exert the very modest effort needed to hold a job. The only requirements are a moderate amount of intelligence and most of all, simple obedience. Right, we've talked about this time and time again. You got to be a good little robot inside of the system. Goes on to say, if one has those, society takes care of one from cradle to grave. Yes, there is an underclass that cannot take the physical necessities for granted, but we are speaking here of mainstream society, and that's that's very important to understand. That folks, all right, simple obedience. Right, And if, if you conform to this model, uh, then society will take care of you from cradle to grave. And as I've said to you uh, several times on this show, they make it very easy to live within the system. Unfortunately, the system lands you in a Salvation Army parking lot with a Q-tip shoved up into your brain and or a needle stuck in your arm. That's where the system will lead you. 
the system will lead you to being engineered out of existence. So they make it easy to live within that system as long as you're a good little robot. And many of us are, whether we realize it or not. I think part of this journey in the dust and gold standard is to look uh, you know, inward at oneself to be able to look in the mirror and say, wow, I'm, I'm a part of this system. We'll get into a little of this tomorrow with Wide Awake Jim because we were having a conversation off the record, I mean, off air. And um, it had to do with the fact that we're already sort of living within uh, a beast system. We're already carrying around our iPhones. We're already using all this technology. So we'll talk about that with Jim. It goes on to say, thus it is not surprising that modern society is full of surrogate activities. These include scientific work, athletic achievement, humanitarian work, artistic and literary creation, climbing the corporate ladder, acquisition of money and material goods far beyond the point at which they cease to give any additional physical satisfaction, and social activism when it addresses issues that are not important for the activist personally, as in the case of white activists who work for the rights of non-white minorities. These are not always pure surrogate activities, since for many people, they may be motivated in part by needs other than the need to have some goal to pursue. Scientific work may be motivated in part by a drive for prestige, artistic creation by a need to express feelings, militant social activism by hostility. But for most people who pursue them, these activities are in large part surrogate activities. For example, the majority of scientists will probably agree that the, quote, fulfillment, end quote, they get from their work is more important than the money and prestige they earn. So you see what he's talking about there, folks, that sometimes it's not a pure surrogate activity. Sometimes they are getting something out of it. For instance, I've talked about Saul Alinsky and the community organizing that he did, which was really manipulating people into his system of endless progressive activism that ends up eating society and culture alive. All right. But that was part of his mental illness, in my opinion, that he was getting satisfaction by watching hell come to earth, which is what he has actually said in an interview. Let's continue. 41. For many, if not most people, surrogate activities are less satisfying than the pursuit of real goals. That is, goals that people would want to attain even if their need for the power process were already fulfilled. One indication of this is the fact that in many or most cases, people are deeply involved in surrogate activities are never satisfied. They are never at rest. Thus, the moneymaker constantly strives for more and more wealth. The scientist no sooner solves one problem than he moves on to the next. And that's what I talk about, folks. If you allow the scientists and the engineers to do their science and do their engineering, it will never end. It operates on a system of progressivism. Progressing towards no actual goal in mind will lead towards the eventual uh, engineering of humanity and natural life out of existence, right? So this author identifies that here. It goes on to say the long distance runner drives himself to run always far 
farther and faster. Many people who pursue surrogate activities will say that they get far more fulfillment from these activities than they do from the mundane business of satisfying their biological needs. But that is because in our society, the effort needed to satisfy the biological needs has been reduced to triviality. More importantly, in our society, people do not satisfy their biological needs autonomously, but by functioning as parts of an immense social machine. In contrast, people generally have a great deal of autonomy in pursuing their surrogate activities. You understand this? Right? This is like what Elon Musk says, where we are merely nodes in the system. Nodes in the system that are helping build the technocracy around us. So what he's talking about is most people derive their money, their food coupons, uh, which allows them to... Uh, get access to the physical needs uh, to satisfy the biological needs to buy food, buy water, get shelter. They need the food coupons, but they're doing that generally through work. And when they're working, they're working with a group, they're working for a company, they're working for a corporation, they're working for an organization, they're working for a think tank, an NGO, a government. So they're not doing this autonomously, meaning on their own. They're not doing it on their own. They're doing it as a collective. And when they go off and they do these surrogate activities, like let's say... I don't know, you learn to knit or crochet, and so you're going to crochet a a giant blanket. You're actually doing that on your own, you know, or when you're out running, you might be doing it with a friend or a group, but generally you're the one running, you're doing it on your own. Therefore, psychologically, that surrogate activity is sort of helping you achieve this uh, internal drive to do things and achieve things autonomously. That's what the author is getting into. Folks, we're going to talk about autonomy when we get back from this short break. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain. Dot TV slash call folks. We are reviewing industrial society and its future. A very important paper written in 1995. And we are working our way through it, folks. So this section here is on autonomy. And this is important because, yeah, in the last few years we hear the word autonomous all the time now, right? Autonomous vehicles, autonomous drones. Autonomous army tanks, you know, that fly around there, drive around there uh, on their own. Autonomous weapons, they just go out and kill folks without having anyone controlling them. All right, so let's look at paragraph 42. It says, autonomy as part of the power process may not be necessary for every individual. Now, remember, the author lays out the four major pieces 
to the power process. The fourth piece being autonomy, which he says not everyone needs to necessarily have autonomy, so that's what he's explaining at this point. He says, but most people need a greater or lesser degree of autonomy in working toward their goals. Their efforts must be undertaken on their own initiative and must be under their own direction and control. Yet most people do not have to exert this initiative, direction, and control as single individuals. It is usually enough to act as a member of a small, all capitals, small group. Thus, if half a dozen people discuss a goal among themselves and make a successful joint effort to attain that goal, their need for the power process will be served. But if they work under rigid orders handed down from above that leave them no room for autonomous decision and initiative, then their need for the power process will not be served. The same is true when decisions are made on a collective basis. If the group making the collective decision is so large that the role of each individual is insignificant. All right. You understand that? So if you're working with a small group of folks, I don't know, there's three of you. You're each knitting a piece of a quilt and then you're going to put it together. You know, that power process is met. All right. But, but if you're working under the direction of a committee, under the direction of uh, some micromanaging boss, you're taking orders from others, you have to follow those orders strictly, then the power process is not met. Paragraph 43, it is true that some individuals seem to have little need for autonomy. Either their drive for power is weak, or they satisfy it by identifying themselves with some powerful organization to which they belong. And then there are unthinking animal types who seem to be satisfied with a purely physical sense of power. For instance, the good combat soldier who gets his sense of power by developing fighting skills that he is quite content to use in blind obedience to his superiors. Sorry, police officers and military folks out there, but come on, look in the mirror. You know this is true. Maybe not for you, but for folks you've run into uh, in that business in which you work all right so you guys get that you understand that let's move on paragraph 44 but for most people it is through the power process having a goal making an autonomous effort and attaining the goal that self-esteem self-confidence and a sense of power are acquired when one does not have adequate opportunity to go through the power process the consequences are depending on the individual and on the way the power process is disrupted, boredom, demoralization, low self-esteem, inferiority feelings, defeatism, depression, anxiety, guilt, frustration, hostility, spouse or child abuse, insatiable hedonism, abnormal sexual behavior, sleep disorders, eating disorders, etc. Now, this is written in 95. 28 years ago, look at the list of problems. Now, that list of problems has always been around uh, in the last, let's say, century. Uh, But it has grown. I think I did some shows on this when we were talking about depression, 
psychedelics, tying that all into MK Ultra, uh, which was run out of Fort Detrick, a mile from me, in the 60s. Uh, but where else have we seen these issues grow out of? Let's look at it again. Boredom, demoralization, low self-esteem, inferiority feelings, defeatism, depression, anxiety, guilt, frustration, hostility, spouse or child abuse, insatiable hedonism, abnormal sexual behavior, sleep disorders, and eating disorders. We saw it grow out of COVID land, the high school theater production. All right, if you didn't guess that. And you can even look at the official narrative numbers coming out of the mental health industry, and you will see that these have grown not just in adults, but in children since COVID land, the high school theater production. You locked people up in their house. You took away any semblance of freedom, of liberty, of autonomy, of power that folks thought they had. And you told them to lock themselves in their house and do nothing while the government sent them stimulus checks or sent you a stimulus check. And so we saw all of these issues growing. You don't think that maybe that was done on purpose, do you? To take away the power process from people and to further push people into, let's just call this depression overall. I mean, we talked about this in episode 126 with Coach Saji. All about how this trauma is all part of the psychological warfare operation to weaken the human, to make the human sick, to really beat them up. Although he doesn't believe in an immune system, let's just say weaken the immune system, make you weaker to all of these outside toxins and pollutants, radiation, chemicals, pesticides, cloud seeding, chemtrails, all this stuff. It weakens your body, it weakens your mind, and you become susceptible to all these poisons that the system is admitting into the air, the soil, and the water, and the food. All right, let's continue. It says, sources of social problems. Paragraph 45. Any of the foregoing symptoms can occur in any society, but in modern industrial society, they are present on a massive scale. We aren't the first to mention that the world today seems to be going crazy. This sort of thing is not normal for human societies. There is a good reason to believe that primitive man suffered from less stress and frustration and was better satisfied with his way of life than modern man is. It is true that not all was sweetness and light in primitive societies. Um, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, uh, abuse of women was common among the Australian Aborigines. Transsexuality was fairly common among some of the American Indian tribes. But it does appear that, generally speaking, the kinds of problems that we have listed in the preceding paragraph were far less common among primitive peoples than they are in modern society. And, you know, it would be interesting if there were still primitive sort of indigenous folks living in certain areas, if we were able to go talk to them and see what kind of problems they had. But they would have to be completely detached uh, from sort of this modern technocracy that we are living in to really get a very uh, fair reading of the situation. Like they couldn't be living in a village and they're really controlled by Exxon 
or they're controlled by uh, some big energy company or something like that that has taken over their land and just lets them live there like a Native American living on a reservation. But it would be quite interesting to actually see this uh, in action. Are the people that are primitive uh, living a happier life overall, they don't have the trappings of commercialism and consumerism and materialism. I don't know if you guys do this, but I often close my eyes, right, and try to envision myself uh, living in that type of situation, not just from a, you know, sort of fantasy perspective, but really try to think about what it would be like to live in uh, that situation under those type of circumstances. I don't know if you ever do that, but I do it once in a while. It's kind of an exercise. I don't uh, meditate, but it's sort of like meditation, folks. All right, paragraph 46. We attribute the social and psychological problems of modern society to the fact that society requires people to live under conditions radically different from those under which the human race evolved and to behave in ways that conflict with the patterns of behavior that the human race developed while living under the earlier conditions. It is clear from what we have already written that we consider lack of opportunity to properly experience the power process as the most important of the abnormal conditions to which modern society subjects people. But it is not the only one. Before dealing with disruption of the power process as a source of social problems, we will discuss some of the other sources. Let's continue. Paragraph 47. Among the abnormal conditions present in modern industrial society are excessive density of population, isolation of man from nature, excessive rapidity of social change, and the breakdown of natural small-scale communities such as the extended family, the village, or the tribe. Now, Let's put this into context, paragraphs 46 and 47. Think about what we've talked about here at the Dustin Gold Standard. Since this paper was written in 1995, we have had internet be installed in almost every single home. We have smartphones in our pockets. We're walking around, literally able to take pictures and videos of each other, share them in a moment, jump on social media, text to people back and forth, call people at any time we want, jump on a video call. You can do everything from your phones. Everything is now connected, right? So it's all connected. Now you're trying to perform for people on social media. You're trying to get likes. You're trying to get retweets. You're trying to get people to say they love you in comment sections. And so all this has happened uh, under this technocracy we live under since the modern technological society that the author's talking about in 95. It's only gotten worse. And as technology reaches this point of exponential growth, this concept of sort of singularity where artificial intelligence becomes smarter than man itself, than its creator, Uh, It's only going to get worse. And as the author points out, in the last, let's say, 150, 200 years, really since the industrial era, since we've entered into the industrial technological society, the technocracy, humans have been moved completely away from the way we live for thousands or millions of years, depending on how you look at it. It doesn't really matter. Thousands or millions, we lived in a so-called primitive way, or at least we're supposed to believe. And then all of a sudden, we're thrown into living in a city life 
where you're stacked on top of each other in apartment buildings in New York City and other places. Even around here, they're building these subdivision communities where houses that cost $700,000 have 10 feet from wall to wall. You can literally spit out your window into your neighbor's house. So look how much things have changed rapidly. And humans, if you believe in evolution, or at least being able to adapt to the environment that they're living in, have not had the opportunity to do that. You go from thousands or millions of years supposedly living uh, as a primitive being to suddenly being forced into the modern technocracy that we live under today. And you wonder why mental illness, depression, and such are on the rise. It goes on to say, paragraph 48, it is well known that crowding increases stress and aggression. The degree of crowding that exists today and the isolation of man from nature are consequences of technological progress. All pre-industrial societies were predominantly rural, The Industrial Revolution vastly increased the size of cities and the proportion of the population that lives in them. And modern uh, agricultural technology has made it possible for the Earth to support a far denser population than it ever did before. Also, technology exacerbates the effects of crowding because it puts increased disruptive powers in people's hands. For example... A variety of noise-making devices, power mowers, radios, motorcycles, etc. If the use of these devices is unrestricted, people who want peace and quiet are frustrated by the noise. If their use is restricted, people who use the devices are frustrated by the regulations. But if these machines had never been invented, there would have been no conflict and no frustration generated by them. Now, we're going to get into some very uncomfortable stuff like that right there. I, I, but I, I think you understand that, right? If the machine didn't exist, the conflict wouldn't exist. And we're going to get into some, I think, uncomfortable ideas. I think you'll be quite uncomfortable. But I think you have to get uncomfortable being uncomfortable. All right, if you want to start to talk about this and truly understand it. One of the issues I have myself thought about and I'm conflicted over is this idea of uh, overpopulation. Okay, and you will see there will be friends of mine, uh, colleagues, allies, people like uh, Timothy Shea was on his show, The Reckoning, on TNT Radio. He's going to come on here in a few days. Uh, he has a background in science and biology. He was an intellectual property attorney. Very brilliant guy. But he will say there are no problems with uh, overpopulation. You could fly across the country and see all the green down below you, which is 100% true. But that's because the majority of people have been driven into the suburbs, which are now becoming overcrowded, and the cities. And they'll say we can produce enough food because now we're building as wide awake jim pointed out the stackable multi-level indoor farms that are growing food uh hydroponically with no soil and no real light and leds well that's all the genetically modified food that we're complaining about and then we're going to start complaining about them moving from real meat you know from cattle from pigs uh, from chickens over to printed meat, 3D printed meat, lab-grown meat. Well, where do you think all the food is going to come from, all the natural food to feed, you know, 8 billion people? If we exploded from a billion to 8 billion in a very short period of time, where does all the food come from? So some people will argue overpopulation is not a real issue. Well, 
at the same time, you can't then tell me that you don't want to eat the crickets and you don't want to eat the 3D printed meat that these guys are going to throw at us because the food has to come from somewhere. That's why I think it's important to have three, four, five acres that you can farm your own food on your own land. Let's just assume the government isn't going to crop dust it and destroy it. But that's what I think, you know, some of the solutions we have to look at. And I'm not going to ever talk about uh, anybody choosing to lower the population. I don't think man should make that choice. But I can see why these guys are talking about it. They may save the real cattle for themselves and feed us the slop if we're going to stay at these high numbers of population. But you can't have it both ways if you want to have an honest, intellectual, uh, nuanced conversation over these topics. You have to understand if the population goes from 8 billion to 16 billion, where, where's all the food coming from? Uh, where are all the natural resources going to come from? I mean, some of this stuff is realistic. I don't believe that the solutions being handed to us by the United Nations, Bank for International Settlements, International Monetary Fund, World Bank, uh, and all these folks out there, the World Economic Forum and such, I don't believe those are the real solutions. I also don't believe that it should be Bill Gates or the government, the state, the technate that should be allowed to pick and choose who is going to die. But these are definitely questions we have to address and we have to talk about or we're not being honest with ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Payne.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We are reviewing Industrial Society and its future paper written in 1995. And as I said, it's going to get quite uncomfortable, ladies and gentlemen, so get used to it. Get comfortable being uncomfortable as we explore these ideas. Uh, It says, paragraph 49, for primitive societies, the natural world, which usually changes only slowly, provided a stable framework and therefore a sense of security. In the modern world, it is human society that dominates nature rather than the other way around. And modern society changes very rapidly owing to technological change. Thus, there is no stable framework. This is really important that you understand this and that you accept this as true. Uh, This is what Yuval Noah Harari, the king philosopher to the false industrial revolution, and the World Economic Forum uh, talks about, all right, as he says that once technology reaches exponential growth, let's just take it from the position of you and your job, a human is going to have to learn a new skill every day because each day your skill will be engineered out of existence. Your job will be engineered out of existence. And so when you take that on this little micro level and then look at it on the macro level, what he is talking about, the author here, 
is that society is changing rapidly because of the technological change. It's not stable. There's no security. Uh, just look at it in the position of jobs because jobs provide the food coupons for you to meet those physical, biological needs, you know, food, water, shelter, clothing. Okay, and if there's no security, that is going to lead to chaos or engineer people into the system further because the system is going to tell you that they will take care of those needs for you, either through universal basic income, welfare, food stamps, etc., etc. That's the whole idea behind technocracy. Remember, they're going to give you an equal allotment of energy certificates. We reviewed that here at the Dust and Gold Standard. They're going to give you an equal allotment of the energy certificates to take care of all of your needs. That was the idea behind the stimulus check under Donald Trump. The stimulus check, so beautiful, so wonderful. I got it done, so great, so great. But that was the idea of the stimulus check. You sit home, you do nothing, we will pay you and uh, make sure that you can buy uh, broccoli and baby formula. All right, paragraph 50, the conservatives are fools. Now, here you go, leftist. If you hung with us to this point, now the author will talk about the right. The conservatives are fools. And conservatives out there, chill out, all right? We have to look in the mirror, too. It says the conservatives are fools. They whine about the decay of of Uh, traditional values, yet they enthusiastically support technological progress and economic growth. Apparently, it never occurs to them that you can't make rapid, drastic changes in the technology and the economy of a society without causing rapid changes in all other aspects of the society as well. And that such rapid changes inevitably break down traditional values. I just explained this a segment or so ago. All right. We can't have it both ways. You have to be realistic about this. All right. You can't be sitting there and saying to yourself, well, I want all of this uh, technology, but at the same time be complaining about a prison planet being built around your central bank digital currency coming. You can't say you want cryptocurrencies, which you believe are about freedom and breaking the system, and at the same time complain about central bank cryptocurrencies. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You can't have it both ways. You have to start being true to yourself. And you have to start rejecting this. You can't cover your house with Amazon ring cameras and then complain that the system is spying on you and scanning your face constantly. You know, you can't keep going out of your house with the smartphone in your pocket, which is tracking you, listening to you, analyzing you at all times, and then complain that we live inside of 1984. And that's what he's talking about here. I mean, this is such a true statement. It's so important. This is probably one of the most important quotes that conservatives should read. The conservatives are fools. I'm going to repeat this. 
The conservatives are fools. They whine about the decay of traditional values, yet they enthusiastically support technological progress and economic growth. Apparently, it never occurs to them that you can't make rapid, drastic changes in the technology and the economy of a society without causing rapid changes in all other aspects of the society as well, and that such rapid changes inevitably break down traditional values. All right, folks, please. Try to understand this. Don't take offense to it. I told you, it's a very nuanced author here. Paragraph 51. The breakdown of traditional values to some extent implies the breakdown of the bonds that hold together traditional small-scale social groups. The disintegration of small-scale social groups is also promoted by the fact that modern conditions often require or tempt individuals to move to new locations, separating themselves from their communities. Beyond that, a technological society has to weaken family ties and local communities if it is to function efficiently. In modern society, an individual's loyalty must be first to the system and only secondarily to a small-scale community. Because if the internal loyalties of small-scale communities were stronger than loyalty to the system, such communities would pursue their own advantage at the expense of the system. Guys, this ties right back to the technocracy papers of 100 years ago that we reviewed here at the Dust and Gold Standard. I mean, think about what he's saying. The system has to break the family ties and break the small communities in order for the system to succeed and folks' allegiance to be to the system rather than to the small communities. There are very few small communities left in this country, very few small communities that truly operate that way. This was the whole entire point of the Internet. This is why it came out of DARPA, out of the military. This was the whole point of social media and everything that grows out of the internet. I hear people all the time say to me, social media was the downfall of society. What ushered in social media? The internet. The internet was one of the biggest attacks on humanity ever. And the phones that we carry around in our pocket. Two things that if I polled people, even those thinking about going half Amish, would not want to give up the internet or their phone. Now, for me... I'll be honest about this. This is about being transparent. It is hard to imagine how you will continue to make money, food coupons, without the internet or without your smartphone or your laptop or your tablet or your computer, right? Very hard to imagine that. And many of us, this is why I say we're kind of trapped in this one foot in the matrix scenario, don't have $10 million in gold bullion sitting in our backyards right now where we can go buy 100 acres and just go live full Amish until the government comes and kills us or sprays us with chemicals. Most of us can't do that because we have to make money. And in order to make money, we need the internet, we need a phone or a computer or another type of device to access that stuff on the internet, right? So they've driven us into being loyal to the system. We're loyal to the system. And folks move all around the world now, all around the country. Why? Because the internet and the airplane made it very easy 
to do that. And so you used to have families growing up together on a homestead or a big piece of property, families living together, you know, in a three-floor house, families living together on a city block even, and slowly over time, it's been broken up. And now all of a sudden, the family is not together. They're spread all over the place. And therefore, now you are on your own, sitting on an island, loyal to the system, loyal to the internet, loyal to the technology. I mean, it was very brilliant what they did, but this author, he breaks it down so perfectly. Let's continue. Paragraph 52. Suppose that a public official or a corporation executive appoints his cousin, his friend, or his co-religionist to a position rather than appointing the person best qualified for a job. He has permitted personal loyalty to supersede his loyalty to the system, and that is, quote, nepotism, end quote, or, quote, discrimination, end quote, both of which are terrible sins in modern society, would-be industrial societies that have done a poor job of subordinating personal or local loyalties to loyalty to the system are usually very inefficient. Look at Latin America. Thus, an advanced industrial society can tolerate only those small-scale communities that are emasculated tamed and made into tools of the system do you see how this has been done over time it's strategic it's orchestrated this author had this figured out folks back in 1995 i don't see a lot of uh podcasters out there i don't even think i've seen any so-called conservative talk radio hosts talking about this stuff Not at all, folks, but this was figured out. And it's important to understand this because it's going to answer a lot of the questions that we've asked ourselves. I think this has just been perfect timing to cover this 125 episodes in because it's answering a lot of questions for me based on stuff we've already discussed here at the Dustin Gold Standard. This is why after episode 10, I decided to wait. And the timing, I think, now is right. When we get back, more on this, folks. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold and we are deep into industrial society and its future, a prophetic paper written in 1995. And again, folks, I I don't know if this was written by a prophet, some kind of a mind-controlled messenger delivering uh, revelation, a method. I'm not sure exactly yet, folks, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to have a conversation about this in future episodes. Either way, this uh, predicted exactly where we are today. Uh, And I think this is one of the most important papers written in modern times. Let's continue with paragraph 53. It says, crowding, rapid change in the breakdown of communities have been widely recognized as sources of social problems. But we do not believe they are enough to account for the extent of the problems that are seen today. 
Paragraph 54, a few in uh, pre-industrial cities were large and crowded, yet their inhabitants do not seem to have suffered from psychological problems to the same extent as modern man. In America today, there are still are uncrowded rural areas, and we find there the same problems as in urban areas, though the problems tend to be less acute in the rural areas. Thus, crowding does not seem to be the decisive factor. Paragraph 55, on the growing edge of the American frontier during the 19th century, the mobility of the population probably broke down extended families and small-scale social groups to at least the same extent as these are broken down today. In fact, many nuclear families lived in choice in such isolation, having no neighbors within several miles that they belonged to no community at all. Yet they do not seem to have developed problems as a result. All right, I'm going to keep going through this and we'll talk about it shortly. Paragraph 56, furthermore, change in American frontier society was very rapid and deep. A man might be born and raised in a log cabin outside the reach of law and order and fed largely on wild meat. And by the time he arrived at old age, he might be working at a regular job and living in an ordered community with effective law enforcement. This was a deeper change than that which typically occurs in the life of a modern individual, yet it does not seem to have led to psychological problems. In fact, 19th century American society had an optimistic and self-confident tone, quite unlike that of today's society. But let's just look at the changes that have occurred in, let's say, my lifetime. Again, I was the last generation to be born without the internet in my pocket. All right. I did not have an iPhone until what, college or after college, something like that. No, yeah, I didn't even buy a cell phone until I was in college. All right. So, I grew up without the internet. Look at the world today, folks. Look at the world today. How many things have actually changed uh, since the world that I lived in? And so he's talking about a guy who grew up uh, out in the middle of nowhere in a log cabin eating wild meat. And the next thing you know, later in life, the guy's living in some sort of a uh, planned suburb somewhere. All right, it says, uh, paragraph 57, the difference, we argue, is that modern man has the sense, largely justified, that change is imposed on him, whereas the 19th century frontiersman had the sense, also largely justified, that he created change himself by his own choice. Thus, a pioneer settled on a piece of land of his own choosing and made it into a farm through his own effort. In those days, an entire county might have only a couple hundred inhabitants and was a far more isolated and autonomous entity than a modern county is. Hence, the pioneer farmer participated as a member of a relatively small group in the creation of a new ordered community. One may well question whether the creation of his community was an improvement, but at any rate, it satisfied the pioneer's need for the power process. All right, you understand that because this pioneer is part of a small 
group of people living in a county and they started to build up this idea of sort of a planned community. He was in the beginning phases of it, but because he was active in actually helping build it, wanted to build it, it would have satisfied the power process. Unlike today, you you know, you, you could be part of nothing, really. You just float through life. Uh, paragraph 58, it would be possible to give other examples of societies in which there has been rapid change and or lack of close community ties without the kind of massive behavioral aberration that is seen in today's industrial society. We contend that the most important cause of social and psychological problems in modern society is the fact that people have insufficient opportunity to go through the power process in a normal way. We don't mean to say that modern society is the only one in which the power process has been disrupted. Probably most, if not all, civilized societies have interfered with the power process to a greater or lesser extent. But in modern industrial society, the problem has become particularly acute. Leftism, at least in its recent mid to late 20th century form, is in part a symptom of deprivation with respect to the power process. And folks, we can talk about all these ideas that grow out of uh, leftism. We have here, we're talking about progressivism, socialism, communism. Uh, We're talking about even fascism grows out of the left, not out of the right. We're talking about things like eugenics, technocracy, transhumanism, all these systems of control. Let's move on. Disruption of the power process in modern society, paragraph 59. We divide human drives into three groups. One, those drives that can be satisfied with minimal effort. Number two, those that can be satisfied but only at the cost of serious effort. And three, those that cannot be adequately satisfied no matter how much effort one makes. The power process is the process of satisfying the drives of the second group, okay? So that is those that can be satisfied, but only at the cost of serious effort. So the power process is the process of satisfying the drives of those that can be satisfied, but only at the cost of serious effort. The more drives there are in the third group, the more there is frustration, anger, eventually defeatism, depression, etc. Those are drives uh, where, where the uh, goal cannot actually be achieved. This is why I told you guys it's important to actually plan your goals to be realistic so that you don't fail at them and you can actually achieve them. It's important to be able to achieve these goals that you guys put together. So keep them realistic and do the research before you start working towards those goals. Make sure it's something that you have a very good chance at actually achieving. Number 60, in modern industrial society, natural human drives tend to be pushed into the first and third groups. And the second group tends to consist increasingly of artificially creative drives. Important there. So what he's saying is in in, in this modern technocracy that we live under, the majority of these human drives are going to get pushed into the group where you can achieve the drives easily or you're not going to be able to achieve them at all. Very little get put into the category of working hard to achieve them and actually being able to achieve them. Paragraph 61, in primitive societies, physical necessities generally fall into group 
too. Okay, that's working hard at them and being able to achieve them. They can be obtained, but only at the cost of serious effort. But modern society tends to guarantee the physical necessities to everyone in exchange for only minimal effort. Hence, physical needs are pushed into group one. There may be disagreement about whether the effort needed to hold a job is, quote, minimal, end quote, but usually in lower to middle level jobs, whatever effort is required is merely that of obedience. Okay, he's repeating that. You sit or stand where you are told to sit or stand and do what you are told to do in the way you were told to do it. Seldom do you have to exert yourself seriously, and in many cases, you have hardly any autonomy in work so that the need for the power process is not well served. You understand what he's saying, right? No matter where you work, they're going to just drive you into some mindless job. You're just a robot. And you're going to just do these tasks all day. And as long as you're obedient and you follow the rules, you're going to be fine. Uh, Paragraph 62. Social needs, such as sex, love, and status, often remain in group two in modern society, depending on the situation of the individual. All right, so it'd be work hard at it and be able to achieve it. But except for people who have a particularly strong drive for status, the effort required to fulfill the social drives is insufficient to satisfy adequately the need for the power process. All right, let's look at uh, paragraph 63. So certain artificial needs have been created that fall into group two, hence serve the need for the power process. Advertising and marketing techniques have been developed that make many people feel they need things that their grandparents never desired or even dreamed of. It requires serious effort to earn enough money to satisfy these artificial needs, hence they fall into group two. But see, paragraphs 80 to 82 will eventually get to that. Modern man must satisfy his need for the power process largely through pursuit of the artificial needs created by the advertising and marketing industry and through surrogate activities. You understand what he's saying here, right? So you used to have to work hard and exert your effort to go out and kill that deer and bring it home. Your wife had to work hard to go out into the cold to gather potatoes and mushrooms and such. So what they did is because society is supplying those physical and biological needs to you in a somewhat uh, easy fashion, right? Now what they do is they create all of these artificial, materialistic, consumeristic things. So you have to work harder at work or work extra hours to get more money to be able to go buy a flat screen TV. Even though the flat screen TV has nothing to do with your survival or with protecting your family. So they use advertising and marketing to create products to make you work harder So you're working harder, but are you really achieving the power process? And if not, you're moving towards surrogate activities, things that have nothing to do with working hard towards being able to actually survive. Let's continue. Paragraph 64. It seems that for many people, maybe the majority, these artificial forms of the power process are insufficient. A theme that appears repeatedly in the writings of the social critics of the second half of the 20th century is the sense of purposelessness that afflicts many people in modern society. This purposelessness is often called by other names, such as anomic or middle-class vacuity. 
We suggest that the so-called identity crisis is actually a search for a sense of purpose, often for commitment to a suitable surrogate activity. It may be that existentialism is in large part a response to the purposelessness of modern life. Very widespread in modern society is the search for, quote, fulfillment, end quote. But we think that for the majority of people, an activity whose goal is fulfillment, that is a surrogate activity, does not bring completely satisfactory fulfillment. In other words, it does not fully satisfy the need for the power process. See paragraph 41, which we covered. That need can be fully satisfied only through activities that have some external goals, such as physical necessities, sex, love, status, revenge, etc. All right, are you understanding this, folks? I'm going to do one more paragraph today. We're going to wrap this up. Tomorrow we're going to have Wide Awake Jim, and then we're going to pick up over the weekend with some guests going through Monday. All right, let's do paragraph 65. Moreover, where goals are pursued through earning money, climbing the status ladder or functioning as part of the system in some other way, most people are not in a position to pursue their goals autonomously. Most workers are someone else's employee. And as we pointed out in paragraph 61, must spend their days doing what they are told to do in the way they are told to do it. Even most people who are in business for themselves have only limited autonomy. It is a chronic complaint of small business persons and entrepreneurs that their hands are tied by excessive government regulation. True. Some of these regulations are doubtless unnecessary, but for the most part, government regulations are essential and inevitable parts of our extremely complex society. A large portion of small businesses today operate on the franchise system. It was reported in the Wall Street Journal a few years ago that many of the franchise-granted companies require applicants for franchises to take a personality test that is designed to exclude those who have creativity and initiative. Because such persons are not sufficiently docile to go along obediently with the franchise system. This excludes from small businesses many of the people who most need autonomy. Folks, even back then, right, in 1995, the author is talking about, even in the franchise model, they wanted robots, you know, to operate in the system. Even if you're going to own a franchise, you had to be a robot. We're going to talk about some of that with some future guests, that you need to be good little robots and follow the rules. I think we're going to get into that, actually, with Justin, who will be on the show on Monday, ladies and gentlemen. You are not allowed... To be a creative, you're not allowed to use common sense or critical thinking, even if you're inside law enforcement or the military. Justin is going to talk about that. I had this conversation with him today. So, ladies and gentlemen, absorb this industrial society and its future. Uh, If you Google it, you can find it in PDF form. It's a very important paper. We're going to continue to work through it over the next week or so as we bring in various guests and we expand our mind and experience expand our world view ladies and gentlemen until then keep writing down those goals start thinking about those solutions start to make steps 
in your plan to insulate yourself and your family from the coming extinction of mankind through the engineering of humanity out of existence by the technocrats that we are learning about every single day here at the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion... at pain.tv slash gold.